0: In the hands of a mastermind of terror. I want to play a game with Lieutenant McLean. What kind of game? Simon says. The path to revenge leads straight to John McLean.
1: John McLean, NYPD.
0: Are you all right? Yes. Laundry day.
1: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast. I am Sam. And I am Will. We're actually in the same room today, so if the audio quality is better and or worse, that's why. It's a very guerrilla punk rock setup right now because uh, uh, I only have like two mics and one mic stand available, and it's, it's... it's, uh, I found a TV table we could use. It's great. It's great. We're <laughs> right back to our student filmmaking That's days. That's right.
0: Sitting on books. Everything's teetering on each other. It's going to crash any moment. Yeah, we're all good. <laughs> pretty much. And so it was my pick
1: this week. And I uh, went with, uh, we're going back to 1995 again. Another 1995 blockbuster. Another 1995 threequel. It is Die Hard with a Vengeance. The third uh, in the, I think, five-movie Die Hard franchise uh, that extended over four decades, I think. Yeah,
0: wow, that's right. Yeah, the 80s, 90s, 2000, mid-2000s, and then I think 2012 uh, or 13. Sure, yeah, let's go with that. (laughs)
1: This is an interesting movie because it's pretty... It's a few years later than the first two Die Hards. Uh,
0: like, Die Hard 1 and 2... They were, like, within two years of each other, weren't they?
1: Yeah, they like, Fox and Joel Silver got Die, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Uh, I think they got that one out pretty quickly. And then this had a long development road and that included many, many scripts... And it, along the way, like Bruce Willis and Joel Silver had a huge falling out, and so Joel Silver wasn't involved anymore. Uh, and I think that was that tied into um, the the Last Boy Scout.
0: Uh. He didn't, uh, Bruce
1: Willis didn't have a great time on the Last Boy Scout. But yeah, this is this is the franchise that sort of solidified Bruce Willis as an action icon. And the original Die Hard is uh, John McTiernan. Uh, it's like. Is it the most famous action movie ever?
0: It's certainly it's certainly up there, and I, I mean, I think it, it's pretty close to a perfect movie. It is as close to a perfect action movie as yeah. you can get. It's the premise is
1: so simple. Uh, the lead character is just like the perfect
0: casting, and and the structure of that movie is just it's tight like a like a drum. It yeah. is just so it is so. Like just classically constructed with great setups and payoffs, and it's just it's easy to follow. There's a great emotional in I mean there's there's what more is there to say about diehard at this I, point. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's
1: and it's John McTiernan who was right at that point he did Predator, Die Hard, and the Hunt for Red October in a row, and those are like three of my favorite action movies. Yeah. And they're all pretty damn flawless. Super quotable, and it's super fun everything about it is just an absolute delight and it really didn't need to be a franchise
0: (laughs) no i mean because at the end of the day what what more it's almost like the death wish sequels right where it's just sort of like well it's kind of unfortunate that this is happening to this person over and over again like he just becomes unlucky as a character it doesn't it's not like at the end of die hard there are questions that need answering it's not like because you know he gets back together with his wife, and they go off into the sunset, and you kind of don't need anything more. Yeah, pretty
1: much. And then he does it all again a couple years later at an airport,
0: and and it becomes it just starts becoming like a Bond movie.
1: Like it became the cliche for action movies that they were Die Hard in a place, Die Die Hard Two is Die Hard uh, in an airport, and then there's you know, uh, Speed is Die, die, die Hard on, on a bus, bus. <laughs> and Speed Two is Die Hard on a cruise ship, which will get to in a minute uh and then it finally came full circle when they made the movie skyscraper and they unironically said it's die hard in a skyscraper <laughs> right. and I, yeah. and people were like who wants to tell
0: them yeah it's um and that i mean yeah it's so many action movies that that inspired and i also think the character of john mcclain sort of his dna kind of filtered through because he wasn't like a schwarzenegger or a stallone yeah. type he's I mean, he's muscular, he's like, but he's not... He's not invincible. That's like part of his
1: appeal is he's going to take a, a massive beating throughout the movie. Right.
0: And, but also on an emotional level, Bruce Willis brings something that those other guys kind of didn't. I mean, in some of their roles they did, but for the most part, Bruce Willis is sort of like this raw nerve a little bit. Like his emotions are more present and, and than the, than the action heroes of the time were a lot more stoic.
1: Yeah. He's much more relatable, you know, certainly in this era of, of his movies. Cause you know, he, he's not like a huge brick of meat. And he's a pretty good actor. Yeah. And he's... The character of John McLean does not seek out action. He does not (laughs) want to... He spends the first act of Die Hard just trying to get out of the building. Right. And, you know, he's kind of a schlubby dude. And he's got a receding hairline. He's a lot more... He looks a lot more like one of the Ghostbusters than he does like Rambo.
0: Yeah, and, he, you know, he's trying to make it work with his wife who, like, they're really on the outs and there's a big friction in their their marriage. and And that makes him just more of an ordinary guy and makes him, you know, relatable in that way. Um, it's one of like the best character introductions, I think, of a movie is the introduction of John McClane and on that plane. You get everything about him within like three seconds. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It's, uh, die, the original Die Hard is an absolute classic. Yeah. I love it, you
1: love it, we all love it. <laughs> uh, die Hard 2's fine. Of the sequels, it feels the most like the original and I think that's deliberate. It just, it doesn't have John McTiernan. I think it was Rennie Harlan directed it. It was his first movie after Nightmare on Elm Street 4. The villains aren't as memorable. Right. It's William Sadler, right? It's It's William Sadler and Franco Nero. Right. And uh, I think... John Amos is the, like,
0: it turns out he's a bad guy. Yeah, I've only seen it once, I think, and I don't remember anything about it. I just remember William Atherton being there randomly He's again. on the plane he's with the plane. Holly. <laughs> yeah.
1: uh, it's got a lot of, like, hey, that guy, like, Robert Patrick, one year right. before Terminator 2, Cole Meany shows That's up. Right. Uh, Dennis Franz <laughs> is in it as, like, the airport cop, which, he's kind of the best part of the movie. Yeah,
0: and and they, they insert Al Powell in again, don't they? Like, he gets, like, called. the
1: briefest cameo yeah. you know, it's
0: it's it and it also feels like it's one of those 90s action movies that also feels over directed like there's just so much going on yeah and, I, I mean it's know. rennie
1: harlan like kind of you get the sense that he was trying to prove like sort of like not i'm comparing rennie harlan on Die Hard 2 to steven spielberg <laughs> in raiders of the lost ark trying to prove something yeah. and like i think his next movie after
0: that was cliffhanger which i would
1: say is peak Rennie Harlan. Right, right.
0: And that's uh, Die Hard on a, on a that's cliff. That's Die Hard <laughs> on a cliff, yeah. That's exactly. Die Hard on a mountain. Which
1: brings me back around to the development of Die Hard with a Vengeance, or just Die Hard 3. So, I think Die Hard 2 came out in like 91, I want to say, 90, 91. Sounds right. In like 92, 93, they, Joel Silver was working really hard. He really wanted to make Die Hard 3 Die Hard on a cruise ship. <laughs> So he enlisted initially, and this is the first of five different screenplays that, like, happened in conjunction with uh, the development of Die Hard with a Vengeance. He enlisted uh, W. Peter Illiff, who had just come off of Point Break. And so he had a big hit with Point Break. He was like, will you do Die Hard on a cruise ship? So he starts writing that. I think Peter Illiff uh, worked on that for a period. And then they discovered at the same time A similar script had just gone into production at Warner Brothers called Dreadnought, starring Steven Seagal. Oh. Which eventually became Under Siege, which is Die Hard on a Battleship. (laughs) And and initially the script for Dreadnought had been pitched to Joel Silver as a potential Die Hard 3, and he turned it down. And then they also bought another script called Super Tanker just to shelve it so no one would make it and interfere with their Die Hard 3. So, Die Hard on a Cruise Ship didn't work out, and and then in the time between, let's say, 1992 and 1995, they had three different writers work on three different Die Hard scripts. Those writers were John Fasano, who was a script doctor. He, uh, I think he did at least, was one of the writers on Tombstone.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Doug Richardson, who had written Die Hard 2, and John Milius.
0: Whoa! Oh. John
1: Milius, uh, for those of you that don't know him, is the person that they based Walter from the Big Lebowski on.
0: And made uh, Conan the Barbarian, the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Red Dawn. Yeah, uh, he also
1: wrote the script for Apocalypse Now.
0: Legendary crazy person. Yeah, and I think it's he's one of the
1: writers that may have done a pass on the USS Indianapolis monologue in Jaws. Right. I, th- I, think, like, I think he did he, a pass.
0: Yeah, I think he's credited with the one who actually wrote Yeah, the, and I, I think I, Robert
1: I, Shaw I, made a few changes. Like, Carl Gottlieb, of yeah. course, wrote the original script. Jaws, great movie. <laughs>
0: <him>. <laughs> I want to know what John Melius's Die Hard 3 was.
1: He wrote the first of the three, and it was going to take place in a jungle. Uh, and when that one was rejected, they went to Doug Richardson. And that was Die Hard on the subway, uh, the L.A. subway Subway taken over by terrorists. terrorists. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And then finally, uh, John Fasano's script was uh, terrorists kidnap John McClane's daughter, and he has to run all over New York or L.A. I don't think they ever landed on it, uh, trying to get her back. And that sort of put them on the path to Die Hard with a Vengeance. Now, none of those scripts worked out. Uh, Though, I think the Die Hard in a Jungle story led to development on Die Hard 4, which then tied into the movie Tears of the Sun. Oh my god. It's it's so complicated. (laughs) Because a lot of people think Tears of the Sun was originally written as a Die Hard 4 script, but it's just that he liked the title Tears of the Sun so much that he lifted it from a Die Hard 4 script and used it for that movie... (laughs) And then Die Hard 4 became Die Hard 4.0, which became Live Free or Die Hard, and was the cyber-terrorism. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a little peek into, like, how... Scr- like, if you've ever read one of those, like, the greatest movies never made type of books, just the sheer volume of scripts that get written and then optioned and then never made into anything and the number of scripts that get pitched for, like, sequels to things... That never get made. And, this is, and this is an era, I think, of the we're going to option a screenplay and turn it into a sequel for something that already exists. And this is kind of like one of the most famous examples of that. Well, it, So
0: I'm sure you're going to get to this, but Die Hard 2, Die Hard is based on a novel, yes. right? And then Die Hard 2 is also based on a novel, but a different novel. Yes,
1: <laughs> Die Hard 1 is based on Nothing Lasts Forever by Ro- Roderick Thorpe. And the character in that is not named John McClane, it's something close to it. And Frank Sinatra... <laughs> had played that character in a different movie years prior. So when they made Die Hard, I think contractually they had to offer the part to Sinatra <laughs> in 1988, which is hilarious. And then Die Hard 2 is based on a Rodri- someone else, not Roderick Thorpe, not that character that they then repurposed into Die Hard 2.
0: What a weird franchise. And Die Hard 4 is based on, I mean, loosely based on, like, a Newsweek article or something yeah, like that? Yeah, <laughs> like an article in
1: Wired about cyber terrorism and the concept of, like, the fire sale where hackers could take <laughs> down the American infrastructure. Uh, but this, ultimately, the script they ended up using for Die Hard with a Vengeance was written by Jonathan Hensley. He had written a script called Simon Says, Which was originally intended to be Brandon Lee's project after The Crow. And Brandon Lee tragically died during the production of The Crow. And so I think all the Simon Says running around New York wanting revenge on the cop character is from the Simon Says script. And then I think they worked in the bank, uh, the gold heist in that. Right. Because...
0: I mean, it just seems like they just wanted to ape the original movie where the terrorists are actually, their goal is something different than what they initially said. Yeah.
1: The only difference is here, it is so weirdly structured, and you can see, like, you can see all the seams <laughs> yeah. in where this was, like, one script. It's like the first act of this movie is one movie, <laughs> the middle act is another movie, and then the third act it's is a completely different movie. It's kind of just, like, four short films. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> 33 short films about John McLean. Yeah, yeah. This is when Die Hard stopped being diehard in a this is diehard in a Metabolic city and county city. of New York, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> it's, and it's from that little like nine or ten year period between the two World Trade Center attacks where terrorism in New York was a thing, but it wasn't a horrible enough thing that we couldn't joke about.
0: It. <laughs> yeah yeah there were there were moments watching this where i was like i don't know this makes me feel kind of uncomfortable when like all the new york buildings were exploding and everyone was running away from them i was like oh boy yeah
1: so basically the movie starts with a uh, bomb goes off and the movie starts with summer in the city by the love and spoonful yeah. just the title slams <laughs> in and you're there like i'm in for like you're like okay you've bought me 10 minutes yeah, movie. yeah that's, that's what i said dun, hot Town and I'm <laughs> But basically, terrorist blows up a, a department store in Manhattan and says, "Get me John McClane. John McClane will do what I say, or I will blow up another building." John McClane, in the time between Die Hard 2 and this, has uh, separated from his wife. He's again. gone full nostalgia movie <laughs> character arc, where now he's like a burnout drunk. He's a mess in this <laughs> movie. A mess. Like he's they a first disaster. find out, and he is just like he's got like a massive
0: hangover. He looks like shit. You know. It actually sort of highlights something that Bruce Willis is really good at playing: is just existentially exhausted. Yeah, like, he can play depression so well. Like you think about this and the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, like he just plays like just you like it looks like his soul has like, rotted, fundamentally
1: broken <laughs> yeah. characters. Yeah, which is you know it's kind of a bummer to see John McClane like that. Right, but, but
0: it is like as like just. Willis's acting prowess. Like, it's just, it, he's really good at that. Yeah. And, you know, it's like uh, the first two diehards, you know, he, like, by the, he starts the movie, he's very clean
1: cut. He's going to the Christmas party. He's going to pick up his wife at the airport. And then by the end, he's down to his, you know, tank top and he's covered in bullet wounds. And, and he's, he's barefoot, too. He's barefoot and he's just like, <laughs> In this one, he's like that at about the 25-minute mark. And yeah. <laughs> he's, he's kind of... He's, he shows up at, f- at full John McClane, <laughs> but if his nemesis was alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, his first task uh, is to go up to Harlem and wear a sandwich board in his underwear that says, well, let's just say in the TV edit, it's been uh, superimposed to say, I hate everyone. <laughs> And that brings in his sidekick for the movie. Which is
0: Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. And, uh, and, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis are great together. I mean, they have, like, the best chemistry. Yeah,
1: and this is coming right off of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're not really on screen together in Pulp Fiction, but, like, they're, like, Samuel L. Jackson is... I think he got an Oscar nomination for yeah. Pulp Fiction. He is now a full
0: on he'd done Jurassic Park and then Pulp Fiction, and then he did this, and he's a full on movie star. Yeah. And he's I mean, and it's Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, what else is there to say? He's great. I well, mean And you know. I think his performance
1: really helps this movie because there are moments, kind of especially in like the third act where he's on the boat, where you get the sense that the character was maybe written to be more of comic relief. Right. Like I could easily see this character becoming like uh Chris Tucker in the fifth element and just being like really scared and panicky and annoying. But he's Samuel L. Jackson, you know, he doesn't play that kind of part. No. And he Bounces off of Bruce Willis really well.
0: Yeah, and he's he's it's like he can match Bruce Willis, and it's not the it's not the Fifth Element dynamic where it's just sort of someone like screaming and shouting and yeah. He's not um he's not Leo Getz. Yeah, he's not.
1: Which incidentally, the Simon Says script was also pitched to be a lethal weapon for. Of
0: course it was. Wait. So Joel Silver was a producer on all of these movies, on 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 Die Hard and on. Uh, oh yeah, on Lethal Weapon. Joel wow, Silver. That, had, that just occurred to me. Yeah, never Joel really Silver that is together. is
1: like kind of that late eight the, the late eighties early nineties Michael kamen scored yes. uh, you know cop on the edge action movie is all Joel Silver. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that hadn't
0: hadn't and occurred he, to
1: me. And he before. wasn't involved in this one, and that's why I think this one feels. And looks so different than those first two.
0: Yeah, that, that his hand is not—I it, it, I hadn't really—I didn't know that when I sat down to watch this. Uh, his hand is definitely not felt. No, you know? no. If this doesn't feel—I would say this is—again, it's the best
1: of the sequels. It's the best looking of the sequels, but it doesn't feel like a Die Hard in a lot of ways, and I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, the first act of the movie is he's got to run around uh, and, like, do, like, answer riddles and to stop bombs from blowing up. It's very The Batman, honestly. it's uh, And he's bickering with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. And then at, like, the 45-minute mark, we don't see Jeremy Irons, the villain, until the 45-minute mark. And that's when they blow up uh, the bomb at the Wall Street Station, and we like the villains finally appear. Just a massive influx inside of two minutes of just villains and goons and henchmen. They all just come rolling
0: in out of nowhere, and they and they all they all they're trying to give them sort of like the Star Wars. Well, actually, the original Die Hards like this too, where everyone has their thing, and they like show up, and you're like, oh, I know what this guy's deal is. Yeah. Well, there's like he's got
1: Targo, who's like. (laughs) His right hand man, but also he's like the heavy. Bruce Willis always has to fight someone and get right. the snot kicked out of him. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so that's that's Targo. And then there's uh, the blonde gal who doesn't speak and she has the throat scars and right. she's like she's she's like the crazy one. Yeah. And then there's just like like an endless parade of like goons,
0: just goons and thugs that what are either have am- are
1: American actors doing good American accents or they're like British actors doing. Awful American accents. <laughs> Jeremy Irons' American accent that he throws on in this is so weird. It's uh, it's like a Southern accent, but it's also he sounds like uh, he sounds like Jesse Ventura. <laughs> it's this <laughs> oh Wall Street, <laughs> a lot of money making here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's such a fun movie, but it is such a mess of a movie too.
0: Yeah, I mean it. I mean it's kind of all over the place, and I think the the problem with it is as a diehard movie is I mean, whatever that means is that there's no like there's like talk and like motions of him trying to get back together with holly but she's not a presence in the movie no and i so, i
1: think they they needed to do like one more rewrite because yeah.
0: i was thinking about it while i was
1: watching it because I was, I was like what is a diehard movie like yeah, Die Hard is someone's trapped in a place, a hero trapped in a place with people that have taken it over. It's There's certain elements of the first Die Hard and the second one that I think of as being class. John McClane has allies. Right. He has Al, but he also has, like, a funny ally. Like, in the second movie, he's got, like, that guy that has, like, the jazz records in the basement of the airport. Oh, right. In the right. first one, he's got Argyle. All the humor in the first two comes for, out of, like, authority figures right like right. the stupid media the stupid cops the stupid feds right and uh, like, the stupid ellis the stupid corporate guys and the humor in this one comes
0: it's all banter really. and it's
1: all um new york humor right you know like there's a bomb welcome to new york <laughs> yeah yeah if the 80s were a little bit more like anti-establishment uh like all the cop the 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 rogue cop is the cop on the he's the cop on the edge he's the true hero though the ones down on the ground don't know what what's going on this one is this is Giuliani's New York <laughs> the cops are the heroes we yeah. have like five or six other cops that are pretty big characters and they're, in this. And
0: they're not like they're not inept they're all pretty like no good they're like they're, they're, they're very dogs. heroic like I was thinking like yeah it
1: the, the Charlie the Bomb guy feels the most, like, a diehard, like, sidekick right. character. Yeah. But then, like, you've got uh, the... Like John McClane's boss Cobb, you've got Graham Greene from right. Dances with Wolves. You've got the blonde gal with the really thick New York accent,
0: right? And then, and then there's a couple other folks who are sort of orbiting them.
1: Yeah, there's the um, uh, Walsh is the one that uh, always played his lottery ticket badge number is his right, lottery right, ticket, right, and then right. he gets murdered. And and then,
0: and then there's also there's also like random New Yorkers who like the switchboard people, like the, the switchboard. switchboard folks, like that's
1: <laughs> all the NYPD communications are gonna go through this switch. Board, and I'm going to marry Donald Trump. Uh, ni- oh, God, back in 1995, where Donald Trump was just like, oh, he's a really rich guy. That's all he was. <laughs> a
0: really rich guy who was in the, in the tabloids a lot.
1: And he was like the epitome of rich because all his shit was gold. Yep. But yeah, it feels like it doesn't feel like 80s New York. No. Like 70 and, 70s and 80s, seedy, graffiti-covered, the Warriors New York. This is a very clean-cut everyone's it's like hustle and bustle new york everyone's like i gotta get a cab i gotta get to my job on wall street you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean honestly the only thing about this new york that feels remotely uh resonant or prescient is samuel L. jackson's very sound reasoning for not wanting john mcclain to get killed by those gang gang members in the opening when he's got the racist sandwich board because he basically says i didn't want a white cop to get killed in harlem because then we got a thousand white cops up there with itchy trigger fingers and i'm like yeah that's that tracks (laughs) (laughs) that hasn't changed that's not an unreasonable stance (laughs) like the the whole like bruce willis accusing samuel jackson of being racist against white people thing just yeah that's so weird they they thankfully like kind of like well thankfully they never make it seem like samuel jackson is in the wrong. Cause right. usually he ends up being like, I don't like you. It's like Bruce Wells, You don't like me cause I'm white. And he's like, I don't like I don't you like cause you. you're going to get me killed. Right.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, I think with any other actor, I, I think cause Samuel L. Jackson can give what he gets, you know yes, what I mean? Like, exactly. He can and, and I think that's what makes
1: that character work is right. that he never feels cowardly or, or stupid or subordinate to right. John McClane. He,
0: he's right up there with him and meets him head to head. And yeah. I think with any other actor, they, not that they couldn't do it well, but I think Samuel L. Jackson will call... Like, you buy it when yeah. when Samuel L. Jackson calls Bruce Willis out on it.
1: Yeah, and I think... Yeah, because he, he's also like, call your wife. Yeah. You <laughs> had fight with her and you haven't talked to her but for a year? Just call her. Call What's your wrong wife, with man? you, dude? <laughs> yeah, the, the plot of this movie just goes all over the place because... It's like basically once they steal all the gold from the Federal Reserve, right? Then they have to move it somewhere. Well, it's like it's like Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson, John McClane and Zeus Carver spend the whole rest of the movie chasing down the 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 trucks and then the boat to find Simon to find Jeremy Irons so that he'll give him the the like deactivation code for this bomb that's hidden in a school in new york right
0: and then that ultimately becomes a red herring
1: yeah but they spend a long time with all the other cops evacuating the school right rescuing these kids that are trapped in the school
0: just and a lot of that stuff just kind of felt endless
1: like i always zone out right at the halfway point when they're trying when they go into the aqueduct yeah like every time i watch this movie i'm kind of like oh and it like like suddenly like I, I didn't, like, I then I realized, oh, like, they went, like, way upstate. Yeah. Like, suddenly they're in, like, the countryside and it's raining. Right. And, and I guess as they went up to, like, a dam.
0: Yeah, that was sort of the moment. Like, I had a lot of fun with this movie, but that was where the moment the movie kind of lost me. And then, and especially when Bruce Willis got shot out of the thing. Yeah. When John McClane got shot out of the pipe. And, yeah. And Samuel L. Jackson just happened to be there to pick him up. I was like, this is, I'm done. Yeah. I get to I'm over this. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: cuz also that's the point where like it's so hard to put my finger on it, but it is it is like yeah, because they tried to wedge the angle of oh, they're not really terrorists, they want to steal all this gold and uh John McClane's only involved cuz like it's like oh, it's a happy accident that right. that uh you killed my brother, but it has nothing to do with my plot with
0: why I'm doing this. Yeah, and it, it's like you it, almost you <sighs> Yeah, it's like they couldn't decide which way to go and kind of went in the middle. It's like either the villain wants revenge or the villain wants money. And they were like, well, he can want both. And it doesn't really quite land. Yeah, whereas it's much
1: clean. Also, it's not a big reveal in the first Die Hard. Like, you know, like, what kind of terrorists are you? Whoever said we were terrorists, right? And you yeah, know? and
0: or when he and when he says like the shining light or whatever terrorist thing, he says I, I heard about it on yeah. uh, <laughs> sixty minutes or whatever. And it in is this it one, is. they
1: leave it more ambiguous, but they don't commit enough to him feeling like he's some sort of revolutionary that is going to destroy that. Is, is this going to be uh, is this a diehard or a Goldfinger? Right, where, you know, exactly. Goldfinger mm-hmm. wants to destroy all the gold to create economic chaos and raise the value of his gold. Right. Because James Bond laid out that it would be physically impossible in one day to haul all the gold out of Fort Knox, yet they seem to do it at the Federal Reserve, no problem.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the, it just and then like as the set pieces sort of got bigger and weirder, and like and the and and the effects got and worse. The effects and got of, like, yeah, yeah, and the effects got worse. I was like, this feels like a later day uh bond like a later late yeah. 90s bond movie it like
1: becomes it, at some point it becomes like a brosnan era bond movie yeah the freelance terrorism thing is such a 90s trope yeah like if you go back to the 90s when we think of terrorism in the 90s most people don't think of you know isis or osama bin laden that's after 9 11 i think of like the oklahoma city bombing right. or uh you know the world trade center was you know uh, Al Qaeda, but you know, it wasn't that one wasn't nearly as big a deal. Oklahoma City was the big, was the big one. terrorism yeah. event of the nineties. Yeah, it was all it was all a little more homegrown terrorism yeah. and less Homegrown
0: domestic terrorism and a lot of the more uh, of what you're seeing now. Yeah, and a lot of the nineties action movies sort of reflected that too. Like yeah. you think of The Rock, like those guys are not you know, yeah, they're the not Rock. terrorists from the Middle East. The only one big movie from the nineties that I can think of um, you know, mid the mid to late '90s, because as we started getting into the aughts, there were more Middle Eastern terrorists. Yeah, you had up. like the siege, the siege was like two thousand or '99, '98, yeah. something like that. But uh, you know, it's True Lies. That's sort of the big one true. that I think of that yeah. has like, like Middle there, Eastern there were a terrorists. Couple. There was True Lies and the Executive Decision. Yes, executive with uh, decision.
1: which is Die Hard on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then, of course, Air Force One was diehard on Air Force, and One. Air Force One, and yeah. he's the president. Those weren't; uh, those were uh, like breakaway Russian Republic terrorists. Right. Those yeah, were they, like uh, former Soviet guys.
0: It was still it, that was sort of hang on, hangers on from the Cold War.
1: Yeah, they, like they were still salty about the Cold War being <laughs> over, and so they were going to create, uh, you know, chaos in, in, in you know in Eastern European countries again. We're back. We're right there. We've right. come back around, but yeah, there was like, um, there was blown away with oh, right. uh, was... Jeff Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, there was Speed, of course, and Speed Two, and those two were like, you know, guys with grudges. You <laughs> yeah, know, that want the one want, once owed them. The Brosnan movies were all about that stuff, yeah. and then there was like Arlington Road, right, which That's is right. a great movie. I, I, like underrated. Like, what if your next door neighbors suddenly? you realize they're Timothy McVeigh.
0: Right. You know. Yeah. That is a good that's a really good movie. I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah, but I remember I, really I, I, and that's that. less of like an action slot. That's, sh- that's more
1: yeah. of a thriller.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh but it's great. So Jeff Bridges and Tim Robbins and Joan Cusack are all in that. That's it's a great right. cast. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this is like the terrorism for hire. Yeah. You know, like I think of that as such a nineties villain trope.
0: Yeah. Well and I'll also, I mean like actual like there had been sort of homegrown terrorism or terrorists that had, you know, been from from America, but we had not, hadn't been directly attacked by terrorists yet. Yeah, you know, exactly.
1: Because, but... like, after there is after 9-11, well, there was a period where you, you just couldn't make movies like this. No. And joke about it, or it, it, like, wasn't funny. And then there was a period where you could do serious movies about, about terrorism. terrorism. And yeah. even, like, like, the most... Blo- like, I'd say, like the Dark Knight might be the first time it be it felt like a post nine eleven action like superhero comic book movie. Right. And even that's Dark Knight's pretty damn serious compared yeah. to most.
0: I mean and Iron Man sort of makes vague allusions to this a little bit and the war on terror and yeah. stuff like that the um, first iron man. Uh,
1: and then when they rebooted bond you know right. like casino royale and yeah. uh, you know he's the banker for the terrorists yeah.
0: but all of them became a lot more serious yeah. too and like a, a little i mean aside from iron man which was a, little, a lot more jokier but like they all they all became like this is a serious subject we can't make fun of it we can't make light of it but, i mean it's sort of true but it also is. it's just funny looking at it as you know american exceptionalism we hadn't been attacked yet we can kind of make jokes about this. I mean, yeah. this is why James Cameron says he doesn't want to do a true lies sequel. is <laughs> after nine. Oh, yeah. You can't make jokes. It about wouldn't it. be fun. It's why, yeah. it's
1: why John McClane stopped being fun. Right. Like yeah. this is like, this movie's a mess, but it's still fun. And I think those kind of heroes, like they still sometimes exist, but they're never fun. Like, uh olympus has fallen oh, yeah. is not fun white house down thinks it's fun but it's, it's not fun no. you know james bond isn't even all that fun anymore yeah it's it's this kind of action movie has changed and this version of it is so 90s i think of that this is this is like the michael bay era too or right. the jerry yeah. bruckheimer michael yeah. bay era so yeah. you had the rock you had uh armageddon the opening yeah. of armageddon when the asteroids hit new york it's like it's probably a robbery, arson, terrorist bomb. You know, <laughs> it's Mr. Cooper from Hanging with Mr. Cooper yeah, as the yeah. cab driver. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's because like after yeah after nine eleven, no one no one would have ever been like I think there's terrorists attacking a building. Welcome, Welcome to New, New York. York! Yeah, you know, it's it's it became a completely different thing.
0: Just it's sort of I guess it hadn't sort of occurred to me just how less fun action movies sort of got as like after yeah. that. And then they became like,
1: everything became uh, visual effects showcases. That's why action movies now are superhero movies. That's that's the thing. Whereas the 90s, I don't think there was, like, a definitive type
0: of action movie. There was kind of everything. The 90s are such a hodgepodge of genres. Yeah, I mean, there was kind of everything, but I do, like... There is sort of a a through line. I mean, a lot of them starred Nicolas Cage. I mean, yeah. you sort of look at The Rock, Con Air, Face Off. Like a lot of those, like Face Off is another one with a, a homegrown terrorist. Yes, too. and yeah. Con
1: Air is Die Hard and on Con- a plane full of convicts. Exactly,
0: and it's but it's like those kind of movies where it's a little. They're like the action scenes are really big and very ex- almost excessive, and the
1: characters are also always very big. The heroes stop being larger than life because there's only a finite number of people in the world that look like Arnold Schwarzenegger right. yeah. but the villains never stop being right
0: there. i mean yeah you've got and you know the rock does its it's level best to ground some of those guys but yeah. like ed harris is very like serious but like everyone around him is just cartoons. Yeah. Ed Harris. <laughs> Ed
1: Harris feels like a villain you'd have in a movie now.
0: Right. Exactly. Where but he's surrounded, he's
1: got like Tony Todd and John C. McGinley, <laughs> and, all these like And that completely one
0: swirly guy who was in every 90s action I, movie. I
1: just lear- remembered his name is Gregory Sporletter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He, he, he's, uh, he had like a he was like um if Michael Shannon and Jeremy Davies had a baby. <laughs> I mean, Gregory Sporletter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you've got those guys and then, you know, you so you have that and then of course in Con Air everyone like every character actor in the world is in that movie and just acting their tits off
1: yeah and then you had um you had Lethal Weapon 4 was in there and Lethal Weapon 4 uh I think when we talk about Lethal Weapon three, we'll talk about just how racist Lethal, Lethal Weapon, Weapon four is about Asian people. <laughs> but the opening of Lethal Weapon four is them basically fighting a supervillain, right? Because he's that guy with like the flamethrower and, and there's the machine a jetpack, going.
0: right, or something. No, I he has like Weapon he Weapon has um, a flamethrower, and
1: I think they shoot the gas tanks on his back. Oh, that's and he it. goes yeah, flying yeah. into like a tanker truck. <laughs> the trailer for Lethal Weapon four was just the first like three minutes of the movie, right?
0: Right. <laughs> so, but and then you also have a little bit of the. Influence of the Hong Kong New Wave, too, with John Woo coming over and doing movies over here, too. So it's a lot of, like, big action sequences that are, like, widescreen action scenes, you know? Yeah. And just, yeah, and that sort of changed who
1: the action heroes were. Right. Like, this is, like, John McClane in this is kind of the last of the 80s action heroes. Yeah. And then the, your, the action heroes sort of, like, there was a changing of the guard in the late 90s when you had, um... uh like, Will Smith became an action star. Right. You had Jackie Chan, Jet Li, uh, Angelina Jolie, like, Tomb Raider. And Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage, still. Like, Nicolas Cage, yeah, because Nicolas Cage became an action guy,
0: Right around this
1: time. Kind of the same way Liam Neeson suddenly <laughs> became an action <laughs> yeah. guy. Nicolas Cage in the early 90s is still doing, like, comedies and uh, and Heavy dramas. dramas. Like, yeah. he, would, he won an Oscar in 95, I yeah, think, 94, 95.
0: Yeah, and then and then he does The Rock in 96, I yeah. think, or that's when it's released. And then he's just action guy for and, the rest and, of the 90s. And in The Rock, he's not the action right, he's hero. just sort of a nerdy. He, he's it. the nerd. Sean Connery's really the action hero yeah. in that. But I mean, and I think that's what makes that movie work. Yeah. It's is those two. But. Well, it's it's like Die
1: Hard with a Vengeance and it's like the Lethal Weapon movies in that the best of these movies give the action guy someone to play off of right. who isn't inherently annoying. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. yeah, like fifth element, Chris Tucker's really over the top, but he's not the sidekick in that. Right. It's Bruce Willis is playing off of Mila Jovovich and Ian Holm for most of that. In this he's playing off of Samuel Jackson. In the original Die Hard, he has he can. He talks to Alan Rickman and Al, right? Uh, Alan and Al a lot <laughs> in that movie. It's like, and I think that's the difference that made John McClane become such a trendsetter as a character. Is that he is so like we talked about at the beginning. He's a much more emotionally dynamic character, right. whereas Rambo and the Terminator are. They're very stoic. They're they're very solo. They don't have banter, right?
0: And I mean, and until you sort of use the Terminator as like a Spock type character in Terminator Two, yeah, where you can you can play the joke as he doesn't have emotions or he's yeah. trying to learn. And
1: then <laughs> when they tried that with someone like Stallone, it doesn't always work, like uh, Tango and Cash, right? You know,
0: yeah. I mean, and Stallone is always better when he's either I don't know. It's so weird when he play when he's in sort of big action movies and he's like trying to be funny. He doesn't do it that well. Yeah, it's... Because, like, Stallone and Schwarzenegger, if you
1: use them in the right context, they are very effective. Like, Stallone is... uh, Gives amazing performances in, like, the Rocky movies. So good in Creed.
0: Yeah. And... And the and I'd say the first eh, two Rambos. Yes. Yeah. You know, first well,
1: First Blood isn't even an action movie. Yeah, first it's first Like Blood a survival thriller, you know.
0: But I mean I think and I think he's good in First Blood part well, when we get to Rambo three, we'll talk about that. But, Do we get to win this time? <laughs> I think he's fun in, in Rambo part two, but but he's not like like Schwarzenegger can deliver a joke. Yeah. Stallone really can't. At least it's, it, it's uh, such
1: a rare gift.
0: Because I would make the argument
1: that Dwayne Johnson is a much better actor than Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger, but his, uh, like, when he tries to do action comedy, I don't think it's nearly as effective.
0: Yeah, it, it feels like he's trying too hard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the same with, like, Vin Diesel or someone like that. That's yeah. why they have, like, these big ensembles. Right. You leave all the comedy to Tyrese, and, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and Ludacris. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, uh, yeah, and I think that's what makes, I think that's what makes Bruce Willis so special as an action movie icon is that he kind of he was probably the best act he's the best actor out of everyone that ended up in the expendables right and (laughs) and he was still convincing as an action star but when he transitioned to just dramas or thrillers or comedies straight
0: comedies it was seamless
1: like he was like he's moonlighting was a great show it was hugely popular and part of that was he was really funny on
0: it yeah. Before
1: this, he'd also done, like, he was uh, the talking baby. He was the original boss baby. Right, that's
0: right. He was in, <laughs> Look uh, who's talking. Look who's talking. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's a really great actor. I mean, it, and I, I guess we should talk about, you know, him a little bit right now. Well, and, yeah, he, up up recently, he's, you know, sort of had suddenly
1: fallen into this realm of, like, very cheap, you know, by-the-numbers action movies where it seemed like he was just showing up for a small part <laughs> and filming it in. But as we now know, he's uh, suffering from aphasia, yeah, and uh, he's basically retired from acting, and it's 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 very sad, you yeah. know. He's, uh, it's sad that like you know, people gave like we not people we all were like joked about it for so long, and it's it's a shame that you know I, he's suffering because I can name a dozen movies that he's in that I love. And yeah, he's, absolutely. He's so good, and no one
0: else, anyone else. As John McClane, I don't know if the movie would have worked. Quite no, so well. I not I, I I think that's true, and I think it. You know, it, it it goes to that thing. Like he can play like depression. I think he can play depression really well. Yeah, and, and that like because John McClane, when you first meet him in that first Die Hard, he is depressed. I mean, he's not yeah. like you know, he's not having a good time. But he's like, but you see it in his soul in a way that like a lot of actors like play sad, but it's. It's different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: that's the difference between John McClane in like the last two movies, where he's just Bruce Willis, right, <laughs> and he doesn't give a shit about anything, yeah. and the first three, were, this is like a good guy that keeps getting, it's like been kind of just beaten down. Yeah. And he's kind of, he's his, he, like a Marvel hero. He's kind of his own worst enemy a lot right. of the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I feel like we haven't really talked about Die Hard with a Vengeance much because I the plot is so all over the place.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, there's not a whole lot to talk about. I mean, it's like McTiernan's directing. I guess, you know, McTiernan came back to the franchise. He yeah, started. I
1: think his star had fallen a little bit because well, uh, Last Action Second Hero was like an infamous flop. Yeah. And...
0: I mean, I think the direction's pretty good up until it starts, the set pieces just start becoming yeah. ludicrously different. And they
1: obviously, like, they reshot the ending, that whole sequence in on the boat. Quebec, uh, The boat stuff's been, like, cut up and yeah. reshot. And then they reshot the ending in Quebec. Originally, the ending was like, they get away with the gold. We don't know that they stole it. And then John McClane tracks Simon down in Europe, I'm assuming, and he's like, I lost, uh, you know, I got fired from the force, uh, you know, I, I, but I figured it out. I he makes him play, like, chicken with a rocket launcher. He asks him riddles. <laughs> it's like, you can find this scene online. It is, it's very dark for a Die Hard ending, and it doesn't feel like Die Hard at all. Right.
0: Or the movie that preceded it. Yeah, <laughs> ex- exactly. Yeah. But I mean, like, Jeremy Irons is fun. He's hamming it up, and like, I don't know, but like what's there to say? There's not like a lot of meat on this bone aside from the, the dynamic between Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis. And like, they're running around, they're solving puzzles.
1: I think if it, it would, if it had just been Simon says it probably would be, it would be like, Oh, that's a fun thriller from the nineties. You know, I think the fact that it has the Die Hard brand on it, we're going to hold it to the standard of the original Die Hard. And I think it's a better made movie than Die Hard Two, but it definitely doesn't, I don't think of it... I don't watch anything, oh, I'm watching a Die Hard movie. No. Apart from maybe that John McClane is there.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that... Yeah, that's sort of the problem with making... Spinning a franchise out of something that doesn't need to be franchised. You know, yeah. it's like... For well, me... It's,
1: it's, it, which leads to another point is
0: this is back when franchises weren't planned out for well, like right.
1: 10 films in advance. Right, It was
0: just sort of, well, let's see if the next one makes enough money and then we'll make another one. Yeah. If it does. Cause there's
1: not a lot of continuity between the five diehards. This is the third movie one where the past comes back to haunt you. Right. Cause it's uh, Cause... revenge for Hans Gruber's death.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, and, and that's, that's the thing so many of these part threes we've already hit upon. It does the same thing. It's like, we're bringing back the old hits. We're bringing back, you know, Hans Gruber, but not really. And well,
1: it's also part 3 a lot when you're not when you don't have your franchise locked in for seven fantastic beasts movies right. if you've made it to 3 you don't know how much farther you're going to go so if you want to tie it back around now's the that's time that's when you do it yeah. cuz trilogies were a thing in 1995 but rare franchise that kept going for four movies right
0: right i mean and yeah outside of i mean
1: there hadn't been a fourth lethal weapon. No, there, there hadn't, hadn't, hadn't been. been a fourth Rambo yet. Right. Rocky had done five. You had James Bond. Planet of the Apes was long since over. Yeah, Star Wars was H- had not was back pretty
0: moribund at that point. Uh, yeah. Star Wars
1: wasn't cool at one point. Right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, The other big trilogies were the Star Wars trilogy and the Godfather trilogy, right. and both of those like Godfather three at this point was the punchline of terrible sequels. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's uh, yeah. So I mean, and it makes sense that they sort of either go back to the, they go back to the well and it just gets, it becomes like a Bond movie. And when we do talk about Lethal Weapon 3, that movie has the same problems. Too. Yeah.
1: That movie, the problem is it's not that they went in with a script that was written for another movie. It's that they went in with no script at all. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: right. But it has the same sort of like, well, we're just kind of chugging along until we get to the next set piece. And yeah.
1: It's so weird because it does feel like everything that we knew about John McClane is been shoved off screen his wife, his family, his fr- like his friends in LA. He's yeah. back in New York where we've never seen him before.
0: Yeah, but it, and, the, and it's weird that the movie acts like we should know all of like his his aso- ensemble guys, like his chief and Yeah. Everything. It's very strange in the way that they're set up. It's like should we know this? Did I miss something?
1: Yeah, and I like that he has an instant rapport with them and he doesn't he, they're not all like his boss and his buddies aren't like He's not just constantly in friction with right. them. Yeah. They like him. They they're they're all well written. Like yeah. it would be so. It's so rare to see all those characters be written in like a thoughtful, competent way. Right. Like and, and you like you root for them. You're just at some point you sort of uh, like when you're watching this movie with a critical eye. You're like, wait a minute. Why am I rooting for these guys? Isn't this a die hard movie? <laughs> yeah. It's you know shouldn't I be rooting for you know McClane. John McClane? And yeah. like what if what if the plot had instead of getting bigger and bigger, had gotten smaller and smaller, and ultimately it's the terrorists end up taking over a school for the third act.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, or instead of, that's the thing is like, you're supposed to know about all these, feel like you know these characters and know their relationship with John McClane. And if you're watching Die Hard 1, Die Hard 2 ends with him reuniting with Holly and everyone's happy, everything's good, it's Christmas again. Right. And then when you see him in this one, he's like, oh, what happened? You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it, it, what if this one started with his life's fine? He's living in New York with Holly now and he's got his kids and it's his kids in the school. Right. And it's, he's sort of like, he's retired from the LAPD or from being a cop and he gets pulled back in because the cops like show up. like, we need you. This guy is going to blow stuff up, but he's asking for you specifically. Yeah. You know, know, give it, that's the thing. It's like, he starts out already looking like shit and the, I think of John McClane is starting out looking okay. And by the end when he's staggering in covered in his own blood and you know,
0: some, something's broken and his
1: arms hanging limply. Yeah, Yeah. His feet are all cut to shit. You yeah.
0: Know. No, I mean, I and I think I think that would... I mean, if you're going to do continuity, I think that would make sense. It, it is a... It's a strange choice. And, I, I mean, again, I mean, as you said, it's it's a different script grafted onto a Die Hard movie, but it's a strange choice to start him in such a dark place and not at least end him in a happier place. I mean, he calls Holly at the end, so I guess there's something.
1: <laughs> well, you know, he, he doesn't oh, he doesn't talk to right. her. Yeah. He... he Goes to call her, and you feel like that's the end of the movie. Yeah, like him, the uh, the final shot of the movie should be him finally picking up the phone to talk to Holly. But no, we gotta go to we gotta go to
0: Quebec. <laughs> yeah, to have like a shootout with a helicopter. Right, exactly. That's right. He he calls her and then doesn't, because um, uh, he has to run off to be, beat the bad guy. But it seems like you want him to go from like either either a place of I need to protect my my family. I need to protect what I've built. You know, because the first movie and the second movie are about bringing his family back together, you know, knitting the family back together. Or if he's in this dark place, it needs to be, I need to get my family back together. I don't, and it just, it. there's no, the other two movies have that, a little bit of an arc for him. And here he's kind of like, yeah, I got to call my wife. And that's kind of where it, Ends up and I, yeah, it it's it really feels work. very
1: tacked on, and that's the yeah. problem with this movie is that they didn't they didn't blend it enough. Like that's why I say like one more draft. You and know, then,
0: yeah, and at least or for God's sake, make Holly a character, put her in the yeah. movie. Like you know,
1: like the and then Die Hard four and five, it's his kids, right? But I mean, still, in, in, like
0: as much as I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I mean. I, I don't hate Die Hard 4, but there is a point, like with this movie, where I'm just sort of like, okay, I'm done. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's...
0: That one is also just like... The
1: appeal of Die Hard as a franchise goes beyond just, this is a character named John McClane played by Bruce Willis. Right. It's... it's yeah. He has to do certain things and be in cer- certain situations for everything to click. It's like... it's He's like Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones isn't... We're, we're not going to have an action movie where Indiana Jones... Is like helping hostages at a supermarket, right? You know, it's an archaeological dig. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's it's and for him, it's like John McClane shouldn't be like riding on the backs of jets and taking down global cyber terrorism. It, it's it's a little smaller. It's it's big and it's full of explosions and there's set pieces, but it's still all very contained. Yeah, like we were just we both have just seen everything everywhere all at once with yeah. Michelle Yeoh which is fantastic. And if you haven't seen it, go see it in theaters. And and the less you
0: know about it, the better. Exactly. But,
1: and if you've seen the trailers, you know that this is like a sprawling multiverse movie. But it's still almost entirely centered on like two locations two locations in
0: like three characters
1: and it's it's so it's still incredibly grounded and you can really track what's going on bigger is uh, is fine for a movie but you don't want to spread yourself too thin and a lot of action movies especially sequels end up a mile wide and an inch deep
0: yeah yeah i mean and you know and I mean, as as we've talked about on the show so much, so many of these things just feel like everyone's out of gas and tired. This one doesn't feel. No, doesn't I don't think this running. is like. Hey, we got it. It feels a little more like Lethal Weapon Four, where it's
1: like we got the gang the back gangs, together. Everyone's, everyone's here. Everyone's it's just, here. The the script isn't it isn't where it should be yeah. so it's structurally really weird and uh, but it's
0: there's a reason why people like this one the best of the sequels. Oh well, and it I mean cuz it is and like you know it kind of sounds like we're we're shitting on it but it it's fun. It is a lot of fun. Like the, yeah. it's not no. it's not a bad movie I've by watched any this means. movie many 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 times. And it I, was always on TV. Yeah. I
1: definitely had it on DVD for a while. It's a great Fun watch. I had a good time watching it here. Yeah. It's not a RoboCop three, no, and it's not a Dark Knight Rises. This is a fun sequel.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely like it, I mean, if you're watching the Die Hard movies, it's absolutely worth your time. And and uh, the the simple fact is, like ninety
1: nine percent of all big action blockbusters you just don't want to think about it too hard yeah you You know what makes die hard the original work so well is that if you think about it it's still pretty damn good
0: right it's uh, yeah that's that's such a solid script that it even when you start like poking holes at it you're like it still works and and more importantly the emotional stuff works which is for me that that that's what really matters to me um so the the emotional stuff on on the uh, the original Die Hard is just so solid. Yeah, he has and this he...
1: wonderful arc about sort of him figuring out what he's got to do to make it right with his wife, yeah. and not like it is a character that is re- in, like he starts out being all like prideful and defensive about her not keeping his last name, and he's just humbled in so many different <laughs> ways as the story goes on.
0: Yeah. He realizes what's important to him and what, and really keeping his family together is the most important thing, and that's you know that's what makes him a hero at the end of the day. And Al, on the flip side, learns that he likes guns and he's ready to kill. And he's ready to kill again. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That that, okay. So that's a very problematic aspect of the original Die Hard. Now, not necessarily at the time. Oh, that he shot the kid. That he shot the kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: they don't show it and they don't play it for comedy. Yeah. You get the sense that he feels bad about it. (laughs) You know, he yeah. never, he's like, I'm, I, I'm not, I gave up being a street cop. I'm, you know, try, like yeah. Al's a good guy. Yeah. You know, and they, it's, they don't, they don't lean into the racial aspect. That's of it, true. like They get don't. with this movie, yeah. which is, was a thorny issue in 1995, in New York. It's a thornier issue
0: now. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it, it really helps that Samuel L. Jackson is the one Doing. Yeah, it, you know, I, I can't, I can't think of who you would get in 90, 1995 who could fill that part. The only other
1: person that would could play that kind of
0: part in nineteen ninety
1: five was Danny Glover. Right, <laughs> and he was yeah, He was for. busy. Yeah. <laughs> no, you would. It would have been a Chris Tucker, right. or a, a '90s Dave Chappelle. You know, yeah. it would have been a different type of... It would have been a full-on sidekick, not a partner.
0: Right, and and at this point, Will Smith was too close to being a movie star to put him in that in the, the second banana role.
1: Yeah, you know, we were just on the cusp of, like... Yeah, it would have been... Will Smith was about to become a movie star. Jamie Foxx was about right. to become a movie star. Denzel was a big star, but he was leading movies yeah. at this point. Yeah,
0: I mean, you know, this... Was it, is the, was it this summer of Independence Day or was it the... No, that was the the, it was the summer. following summer. So
1: 95 was this and Batman Forever. That's right. That's right. yeah And then 96 was Independence Day. And then 97 was... Men in Black. Men in Black and the Star Wars Special Edition.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking of Will Smith's... Oh, career, Will Smith, yeah. Career trajectory. It's, uh, it's,
1: that, Independence Day... Well, Bad Boys was Bad 95. Boys, 95. Independence right. Day, Men in Black, and then I think he's doing like Enemy of the State right. after that.
0: Right, I mean so. by by after independence day he's a movie star. Yeah. I mean that's just oh, yeah. you know easily. So yeah, I I think
1: you know we've rambled and we dissected a little bit uh it, but it's it's a fun movie. It's it's as for a franchise that honestly it's not beloved as a series, it's just beloved as one movie. This is the best of the sequels. It's very watchable. Yeah. It's fun. It's a, it's got some like the first uh, like a half has some great set pieces the fight in the elevator is really That's yeah, it's really good yeah. it's, it's predates uh, Winter Soldier yeah yeah. No, the
0: fight in the elevator is great I mean like and a lot of the stuff when they're running around the city and trying to find the bombs like there's a lot of really good tension there yeah there's a lot
1: some good like vehicular action like yeah. when they're driving through Central Park and yeah. stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I, I never felt sad or bad
0: watching it nope nope it was a it was a really a really fun watch and yeah yeah
1: There there it is. There it is. (laughs) And uh, speaking of sad or bad, uh,
0: (laughs) it's my pick. It's Will's pick. So I'm going to do kind of a weird one, Sam, and maybe this is podcast breaking. I don't know. But So this is a spiritual sequel, not an actual sequel. So I'm going to pick Edgar Wright's the World's End.
1: Oh, all right. The third in
0: the Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Exactly. So not a trilogy per se, but spiritually a an,
1: trilogy. And uh, the third in a director's auteur trilogy, right. if you will.
0: Yeah, with the same creative partners across all three, because yeah. you know, so he, Edgar yeah. writes other movies were not co-written by Simon Pegg. So right. Shaun of the Dead,
1: uh, Hot Fuzz, The World's That's End. That's right. Which
0: I recall not liking the world's end well we'll, we'll talk so about if i'm being it,
1: perfectly candid not that i i'm not saying you picked a bad movie no, 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 no. i but just remember i remember going into it wanting shawn of the dead and hot fuzz and it's kind of a different movie it
0: is it is different and it's it's uh, it's a different emotional register than the other two yeah. so uh it'll be it'll be fun to to unpack yeah i think
1: great cast yeah, yeah. really good cast so. uh yeah that'll be fun and then uh i think i know what mine's gonna be after that but I'll, I'll tell you next week. Uh, it's uh, all I'll say is it coincides with the calendar nicely.
0: Ah.
1: And uh, yeah. So, uh, any final thoughts on Die Hard with a Vengeance? Well, Sam, who is the twenty-first president? Uh, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> no, she'd be the forty-third president. <laughs> Hillary Clinton is president.
0: What a joke!
1: I mean, to be fair, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Yeah. But. <laughs> it's anyone in the, anyone that's watching the movie that knows the answer is Chester
0: A. Arthur must be
1: really frustrated
0: but <laughs> imagine just like up until I meet that that trucker guy This is
1: a movie that really is like if you watch this and you've only lived in a world of smartphones this movie, there's so many plot points where if they had a smartphone, it would just like, be over. <laughs> when they're like, "Oh, the our detonators are sensitive to police frequencies," you know, <laughs> we got to run things through the switchboard. No, nope, right. we all have cell phones now. Yeah, we just text what? it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> solve this really hard math problem. Oh, I got a yeah, calculator
0: right in my pocket. Yeah. To this day,
1: how do they solve the water jug thing? I still haven't been able to figure it out. That's the riddle. they've know? got a five gallon jug and a three gallon jug and the bomb is deactivated by the weight of four gallons of water exactly right like they cut away and then they cut back and they've got two gallons of water in one of the jugs right i guess that's
0: i there, there's i don't know i don't remember.
1: i'm sure it's on reddit somewhere yeah. but it's bugged me every time i watch it <laughs> yeah. and i have like scratch, chicken scratch yeah. in my notes of how to figure it out <laughs>
0: I also love the the Saint Ives poem because there was a Sesame Street skit with it.
1: Oh yes, that's so. right. It's a it's a trick question.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no one was going to Saint Ives.
1: <laughs> Do kids still play Simon Says?
0: I don't know. It's a good question. When when
1: Evan gets old enough, tell him to get back to us. Oh uh,
0: yeah, I'll let him. Uh, I'll ask him. All right. Okay.
1: Well, until that day. Uh, I am Sam Charrington. Uh, Thank you for listening. You can find us on Elon Musk's Twitter at Podcast Part 3. And I think we're going to set up um, like an Instagram account too uh, so that people can see my uh, very middling Photoshop of our episode logos. But until then, uh, you know, uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoy. Check us out next time for The World's End. And uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Yes, all those things and more. Uh, Will? Uh, it's nice seeing you in person. It is for this once, is really and uh, let's do really this nice. again sometime.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right.
1: Adios, everybody. Bye-bye.